Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Well, good morning. My name's Micah. This is true. So far, I'm off to a good start. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're, uh, we're going to actually have a bit of a conversation. If you are visiting with us, uh, Pastor Thelma, or Thelma, or whatever she wants to go by, started officially with us last week. And we're just going to have a little bit of a conversation together. So Thelma, come on up. I explained to the first service that uh, first thing this morning, I came in to grab two stools. I picked one of them up like this, and the leg blew off. <laughs> so I now have a three-legged stool. Thelma, you can have a four-legged stool. Uh, in the first service, I got to rock a little bit. So that was kind of nice. I have two three-legged stools in my living room. Are from they Burns, From Burns, oh, from okay. Milking, yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, if you are visiting or if you've been away for a little while, this is Thelma McLeod. She is our new transitional pastor, uh, also known as our lead pastor, boss, Thelma, Thelma? Thelma. whatever works. Uh, but those are kind of some of the roles that she's uh, standing in as well. And one of the things that we became aware of is that even though we talked as a community about calling Thelma, uh, and if you're visiting, you may not be aware of this, uh, like, Nobody says, other than Jesus, you shall have Thelma. Uh, as a community, we discern God's call together. And uh, we have called Thelma to be our transitional pastor. And while we recognize that this was discerned in community, we also know that we're kind of a relational spot. We like laughing, we like knowing about each other, we like supporting each other when we can. And uh, that's kind of hard to do if you don't know each other. So we thought we'd sit down and have a little bit of a conversation with Thelma this morning. Uh, we did agree upon some questions. I've got notes about what is out of bound, and I will be asking those. <laughs> uh, but Thelma, we wanted to get to know you a little bit. Uh, and a lot of us would have heard a little bit about uh, your career and your sense of calling into ministry and then your discernment of, of how you wound up here. But why, you know, that, some of that was put in black and white paper and some of it was just said in like Micah words. What, what words would Thelma use to describe that whole story? Started um, as a Christian, 12 years old, uh, baptized, and was going to be a missionary. And I stepped away from that, as many young people do. I went on my way to Toronto after I graduated. And uh, I made my way back. And I'll just tell a little bit of the, the career part of it, because I haven't always been a pastor. Um, so I came back, and uh, just a couple of, of, of uh, positions, um, a new computer um, company that was making computer pins. And then I was with a, an automobile dealership. And my husband was in the military, and he was always on the ships out of Halifax, but we had one posting up to Borden, Ontario. So I had a little bit of fun up there um, in that I uh, farm girl wannabe, and they have a lot of farms in that area. So I was on the machines uh, helping to plant asparagus and harvest potatoes, and I was telling them at the uh, early service I did two seasons on a mink farm. So um, the smell of mink and almost skunk-like uh, followed me for quite a while. But I started in the public service up there, and uh, when we came back to the Halifax Dartmouth area, uh, from, from that time on, most of my career was in the public service. So did you want me to go right into my call? Or? Yeah, because, I mean, when you and I first met, uh, we were at seminary together, uh, and uh, you showed up a couple after, years after I did, and as I joked, well, it wasn't really a joke, it's the truth, in the first service, you immediately started getting better marks than I did. Uh, so tell us, how you, uh, tell us how you wound up at, at seminary, and then uh, many of us know that you served down in the valley for about a dozen years. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. And I was talking with Vienna. She wanted to know about my call. Um, and it's more than I can really explain at length here this morning, but uh, I called the nudge. I was uh, working full-time, studying part-time on a degree at Mount St. Vincent University in business administration. 
And Gordon Sutherland was working at um, um, First Baptist in Dartmouth at that time. And I turned to Gordon and I said, I don't know what I'm feeling, but something is happening for more, more full-time ministry. And he suggested that I change my degree program from business administration over to a BA, Religious Studies. And he always had the philosophy, talk to God about what you see and what you are sensing. Ask him to leave doors open if he wants those doors left open ask him to close them if he wants them closed. So I switched over and uh, just kept uh, chipping away at my degree for a number of years and graduated with that in 2002. And then had to make that decision. Am I leaving my job? Am I leaving the public service? Am I going into full-time ministry? And I had talked to different people, but I did seek out three couples in particular that I highly respected, went to their homes, had dinner with them. My husband John was with me. One of those couples was Carla Shaw's mom and dad. And people kept seeing God's hand on me, even though I kept, uh, I think if one of them had said, no, we don't see you there, I would have turned and said, no, they said, uh, God's not calling. But they kept saying yes. And so we came, we went up to the valley and moved up to the Kentville area and I went into seminary in 2002 and studied there for three years and that is where I met Micah, but I had known Jody at First Baptist Dartmouth prior to that and uh, finished my degree in 2005. And I just kept thinking, no, I, I love to study, I love to learn, I'm going to get another degree, this is great. And kept telling myself, but God isn't really calling me to be a pastor. And nobody would agree with me on that, and uh, the, doors, the doors just kept staying open. And uh, I um, was called by Bethany Memorial Baptist Church, uh, just outside of Kenful in Aldershot, and had almost 12 years with them. To continue the calling and the nudge, I did get that nudge again in 2016. I uh, just knew that it was time to leave Bethany. And I thought, what do I do with this? And I didn't, I couldn't tell anyone. It was very difficult not to be able to. And I was aware of the transitional training that was available. And again, Gordon Sutherland came on the scene. He was pastoring at Kentville Baptist at that time. So God reconnected us, and I chatted with him. I uh, took the first part of the course under the United Church training. Uh, that was in Ontario. And the second part of the course was going to be more practical of just doing a practical exercise with another church. And I just kept dragging my feet on that until uh, last year. And talked to Gordon again, and he led me to um, training through the Baptist denomination. It's called Outreach Canada. And they're in British Columbia, and they came into Ontario to provide that training in June. And um, I just resonated with the training. I loved every moment of it. It just, I found such peace in that. So for about a year, I knew that I had to leave Bethany. Didn't know where that was leading. All those things started to really unfold. And I came back from the training and put in my notice. I knew I was going to do that in June, mid-June, and gave them until the end of November. And my last service um, was on Christ the King Sunday, actually, uh, in, at the end of November. And then shortly after that, I said, well, actually before I finished at Bethany, started conversations here with the manual. And again, God has left a door open to call me here. So here we sit. We've been praying for you because people at Emmanuel, we are all crazy. So. I fit right in. I told you that earlier. Yeah. Um, Thomas, sometimes we make the mistake, you know, we see people on platforms and, and we make the mistake of thinking that people are what they do when in reality God's built so much more into our lives. So I've got, like in my heading, or my notes here, I'm actually calling this the important stuff. Uh, tell us, if you're okay with it, a little bit about your family. And I will say, hold us accountable, Mike and I both here. Uh, we can become what we do. And our identity can become the ministry. And I wondered when I was leaving Bethany, like, Lord, what is going to happen to me? Because it has become my identity. Um, I lost my husband about six and a half years ago. He had pancreatic cancer. Uh, we had no warning at all. He was a little bit tired. And we were saying, well, we probably need more exercise, need to eat better, etc., etc." And then the doctor faced us and said, you have terminal cancer, there's nothing we can do. 
And we had two weeks and two days, and it was all over. But I'm very thankful for those two weeks because some people, they, their spouse walks out the door and they don't see them at the end of the day. So I'm thankful for those two weeks we were able to talk. Um, so God has just strengthened me and carried me through these six and a half years. I do have a daughter, a grown daughter. She lives in Dartmouth, and she has one daughter. So I was, well, I was one of two, had one child. She had one child. So I have a 13-year-old granddaughter. Uh, as I say, she, uh, Heather and her family live in Dartmouth. And I was born and brought up in Middle Saffron, New Brunswick, and my sister is still there. And I met someone uh, in the break who was a good friend of my sister. Uh, as we were growing up over those years. So Mona is still in, uh, in Middle Sackville and lives at Mom and Dad's home. So I feel in Truro I'm kind of in between and it feels good. Just an arm's just, reach from both. An arm's yeah. reach either way, yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that we thought we'd talk about, uh, just so that folks can get to know you a little bit better, is what you do for fun. Uh, I know you're an avid video gamer. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have been fed information that is not a good source. <laughs> that being said, I did, when we first met in seminary, I learned a couple of things, and it kind of drifted out the back of the head, and I was reminded of it over this last week. So, Thelma, what do you do for fun? What were you reminded of from seminary? Well, there was uh, something about... Uh, no, that, that's very recent. Is it? It's very recent. Well, that's all right. My memory's yeah. not as bad as... No, it is, actually. That's, <laughs> not to correct you yeah, on platform yeah. here. But You've got an amazing sermon coming, so... And now that, the that redeems on. any... Uh, <laughs> no, I've heard it already. What do I do for fun? I, I admitted that uh, I was very much into the work of ministry because I love ministry. It is fun. It's, it's challenging, but it's just... It's joy. And uh, so you see the work that needs to be done, and especially when I was widowed, the boundaries were gone that my husband often put around me to say, come on home for supper, or we need to take a weekend here. Um, so you see the work that needs to get done, and you keep on working. And so I got into a very unhealthy, unbalanced lifestyle. Um, so what I'm trying to get back to to have some fun is my joy of music. So you're referring to the drums, and where did you, James is still right here. Uh, I've told him I want him to teach me. Um, I've only taken lessons for maybe three years, sporadically. You've got your but own set, I think, if I recall. I have two sets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and those yeah. fit in the apartment. Those don't fit in the apartment. No, no okay. No, All right. no. So I have one set that's staying in Bethany. I've gone out uh, with a group called Rewind. I'm their backup drummer, and we go out to seniors' residences. So I'm hoping that I can be a little bit flexible, and, and I've been asked to play for a couple of gigs with them. Looking forward to it, and uh, just so enjoyed uh, time with them. Love the drums. Want to learn a lot more about them. Thank you, James. And um, and I know you're waiting to hear about the punching well, bag. Well, if, so. if you don't talk about the pink gloves, I will. <laughs> I almost left it out in the first service. I didn't know what he was looking for. <laughs> I do have a full punching bag in my home in Kentville that I'm going to try to sell the house, and I don't want to sell my punching bag. And I have uh, my husband bought it for me, and I have pink boxing gloves, so it's all it's the real deal. Um, but I don't put anybody's face on that bag, and uh, <laughs> and it's just a great stress reliever. So uh, Micah suggested I put it in the office that it would make a statement. I don't think you're going to see. No, it no, I I didn't think it made a statement. I just want access to it. <laughs> <laughs> there are days I might use it, okay. uh, but it's, it's it's some good stuff for fun there. Uh, Thelma, that you know you've been here, oh goodness, it must be almost six days, uh, and with that depth of experience, I am certain that things are absolutely crystal clear about the future. Uh, and what I'm really saying is, hey, Thelma, look, a lot of us don't. Like we've used the word around here, transitional ministry, like everybody knows what it is. And, I mean, I'm letting a little secret out. It doesn't seem like anybody really knows what it is. Because uh, it's different in every church. As you look towards the future, uh, knowing that anything you say now can change without notice or explanation, yeah, this is, there's there will be no holding you accountable for this, but as you look towards the future... Uh, as you step into this transitional role with a full depth of six days' experience with us, what do you see in the future? What, what does transitional ministry really look like for you right now? 
And transitional ministry in our Baptist denomination is quite new. We haven't been doing that. It used to be, it was called an intentional interim, but we have not been doing it that much in the Baptist. Uh, we've had interim people who have gone in and, and helped just to keep things going until a new pastor is called. Uh, so this is my first time at it, and we are bringing the training into the Atlantic provinces. Uh, God has spoken to a man by the name of Cam, the, tra the trainer. Um, well, Cam was praying into some from the Atlantic who would come on the train and he could make a connection here and along came an email from Thelma McLeod asking about, about the training. So we're putting that on at Crandall and Moncton in May and I'm very excited about it and I see Emmanuel as being one of the uh, churches that's going to help take some of that forward. Transitional ministry normally happens right after a pastor leaves. It's a grieving time whether it's been a good parting or a difficult parting a uh, congregation needs to grieve. Emmanuel's a little bit different. There's been a, a time lapse in there. And a lot has happened to you. And I think we can all agree to that this morning. Um, so as I come in as transitional pastor, I've said to those who interviewed me, I'd like to come in for at least two months and just listen and meet with you, uh, go to the meetings. I said I, I didn't think I'd ever say I want to go to every meeting there is, but uh, I'd like to go to the meetings and to the programs, get to know you, hear your stories, and we will celebrate all the wonderful things that are Emmanuel and have been Emmanuel. So we'll look at the past and your history and the history of this church. We'll look at who this church is now, but especially where God is taking us. And uh, that will unfold. He will show us. I'm convinced of that. And come more towards the vision of where you see God taking all of us together. I, uh, I said last Sunday, I really feel this is part of my spiritual journey as much as your journey. And I feel a healing coming for me in areas of my life as, as there, it's going to be healing in areas of this church. It is a new season. Mm -hmm. uh, and then at that time, we'll be ready to call in a new pastor. Uh, to carry the vision forward. Well, that is uh, a good beginning conversation, and these things will be going on for the next couple of years or less, because uh, that is one thing that we should know together. Uh, a transitional pastor is hard capped at a certain period of time, and so we're we're looking to God moving us and healing us and bringing us forward quickly. Uh, so we're looking forward to move. Yeah, always yeah. is. Yeah, I believe and he so, has been already before I've started here. So, so Thelma, thank you so much for uh, talking with us. Thank you so much for coming to Emmanuel. Uh, thank you so much for doing everything you can to hear God, and we look forward to your ministry here. So, thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. I think if I left that stool there, it would eventually fall over and be a major distraction. Uh, so for whoever is from, you know, anybody on the property and finance team who happens to be here this morning, there's the stool legs. <laughs> Works for me. I'll, I'll file it under office. Uh, it is good to be with us. <laughs> It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I don't know if you're feeling it, but I'm feeling a little bit groggy. Uh, I was blessed to see the uh, travel team head out yesterday morning. Uh, I was not blessed by the hour. But God, just as we get started, I've got a, a request and an ask of you guys. God was incredibly gracious to the team. They uh, got out in between the storms. Uh, amongst all of the flights that were canceled, there was one that wasn't delayed or canceled, and that was theirs. And they made a connection. Uh, we had kids. This thing is falling off my ear. Anyway, we had kids whose uh, online check-in wouldn't work, and they were going through. I was pushing them into the security line about 15 minutes before they were supposed to board. And the security line was extremely long, and God got them there on time. Everything worked out well. Uh, they made their connections in Toronto. They've landed in New York. They're at the at NISIM, which I think stands for the New York School of Urban Mission or something like that. I just remember it as NISIM. God's working amongst this team. It's a large group of teenagers and four leaders. And I've got an ask. I would ask, if you were here last week, you know that we called them up. 
and we prayed for them. And we said we'd keep praying for them. And if you're like me, the day can go by too quick without realizing that you haven't kept your promise. So I'm going to do one of those things that pastors aren't supposed to do, and I'm going to ask you to like pull out your phone or whatever you need to do and open up your alarm clock, and you pick a time. I don't care if it's 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. or 3.30 in the afternoon or 2 a.m. That'd be dumb, but whatever. Uh, I don't care what time it is. Set an alarm to go off every day for the next seven days. They land home Saturday night, uh, late in the evening. And if you could set an alarm to go off so that you could pray for them, intentionally remember to pray for them and their families, that would be great. I asked uh, Siri, my iPhone, to do that yesterday. Uh, I said, Siri, set an alarm at 3 p.m. for the next seven days. And it successfully set one alarm at midnight. (laughs) Computers. Uh, Anyway. If you are visiting with us, we are wrapping or beginning to wrap up a series on the book of Galatians. Uh, We've accelerated the series a little bit. We've been in the book of Galatians, which is a a letter written to the New Testament church in Galatia. uh, Way, way, way back at the beginning of the, uh, the New Covenant. And we've been in this series since the beginning of 2018. And we're going to work on the latter half of chapter 5 this week. Tammy is going to preach the end of the series. Next week she'll preach on uh, chapter 6. And then Thelma kind of steps into the platform and takes over from there. And we are really grateful to be able to wrap up this series. Uh, we're, We're grateful for that and she's been very gracious to let us do it. And we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 13, but before we get there... I want to just remind you of what's been going on. Into this early church that received the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of its freedom and all of its healing and all of its restoration, a movement had arisen, arrived, to haul them off to the side. They're on the right track, but they got dragged off to the side, and they'd fallen into a system of rules and regulations and dead religion, which looks very good on the outside, but brings no life to the soul. Jesus, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, described it as, you are like whitewashed tombs. These men who led maybe the most rule-based religion of all time. You are like whitewashed tombs, very pretty on the outside, and full of decay on the inside. And so Paul is writing to kind of correct this. He's writing to speak into this and, and to bring them back to what should be. Because the way of religion, the way of rules, it's not the way of Jesus. Down that path leads death. And so Paul is writing to them, and he's at this phase that every New Testament letter eventually gets into. What is uncommon for us today is to have a scribe. But this is how things were done in the day. You would contract in with a professional, and he'd come in with his box, and he'd sit down, and you would dictate, the author would dictate to the scribe, and the scribe would write it out, and eventually, the scribe would look up and say something like, and I'm, I'm making this up, this is not recorded in the historical document anywhere, we have no record of this conversation, but I imagine the scribe would say something like, when we were talking earlier about what you wanted to cover, you still had a lot to go over at this point. There's still a lot you want to talk about, but you're getting towards the end of your paper. You're getting towards the end of what you've hired me to do. And so all of a sudden, as Paul gets towards the end of almost every one of his letters, you can get this sense as he shifts into another gear and he starts dealing with stuff much faster. And what might have been given a couple of paragraphs earlier on in the letter to breathe, he condenses these ideas down to just a few sentences. And that's in chapter 5 where we tune in. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Get everything laid out in the right order here. 
We're going to read down through the end of verse 26. So it's going to be a little bit of a long stretch, but there's a reason for it. (laughs) You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, I am so grateful that you're already present. Father, sometimes we fall into the habit of asking you to show up, forgetting that you are always with us. Lord, I am grateful for your promise that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. And so, Lord, would you make us aware of your presence? As we sang earlier, Lord, let us see what you're up to. God, as we come to this passage this morning, we, we don't want to wrestle with your word, what you've, you've given us, and not take it to heart. Would you please do work in us to cause us to reflect you a little bit more clearly? And Father, where I'm going to say things that are just Micah, would they be forgotten, I ask? In your name, amen. Well, for me, I don't know how your Bible is laid out, but if you were to look in your Bible, for me, this section of Scripture is laid out into four paragraphs. And that works well in my brain because it seems like there's actually four points that build on each other, that continue to move in a direction of thought. In verses 13 to 15, we see Paul laying out the problem and calling us to live a little bit differently. Paul lays out this idea that we are in fact called to freedom But we are not to use that freedom to indulge our sinful nature. And this is a a common situation. I don't don't know necessarily your life. But so often in my life, when I am told I can do whatever I want, I find myself doing what I want. When I'm told that I am free, I find myself taking off all the bounds. And what Paul is laying out before us in all of Galatians is, yes, you are called to freedom, but it's not freedom to run around and do whatever you want. It's freedom to live the way you were meant to live, the way that you were meant to be. It's freedom in Christ. It's freedom to live what Jesus described as life and life to the full. You are free, and you can use that freedom to indulge your sinful nature, as Paul says. But you're not supposed to do that. The problem is that our sinful nature is so toxic. As I was thinking about this this past week, I, 
I couldn't help but reflect that when it comes to sin, I can't find one that doesn't find its root in selfishness. We, we've heard the teaching, money is the root of all evil. But as I was reflecting, I, I can't help but reflect how often my selfishness leads to sin. Uh, I want a, a certain prestige, and so I grasp after it. Or I, I want someone to recognize my deeds, and so I chase after it, and I want it. I want a certain item, and so I'm consumed with greed or jealousy. I want someone else to be punished, and so I engage in gossip and rumors. So much of our sin is found in our own personal selfishness. And Paul is advocating, challenging, calling us to not use our freedom for our own selfish desires. Because what happens when we chase after selfishness is that we fracture and we break. And this is what was happening in the Galatian church. Selfishness had invaded and people can always take rules and use them to get their own benefit, twist them and manipulate them and change them and reinterpret them and make English say what it never meant to say. And all of a sudden, you somehow are wound up getting a privilege while somebody else is left paying a price. And you've done it okay by the rules, but we've used our freedom to bring about fracture and division. And Paul there lays out the solution. And why don't we pop this up on the screen? It'll be verse 13. Paul lays out the solution to human sinful nature. And if you're like me and you grew up in the church, we've seen all kinds of options. Right? We've taken care, uh, we've taken holiness courses or Bible studies, and yet it seems so simple. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. And this version says, humbly in love. Serve one another. I want to make a big deal out of this because I missed it the first dozen times I read it. What are we to do rather than indulging our sinful nature? We are to... Okay, I know it's late in the morning and you're waiting for lunch and it's the daily hours change, but let's try that one more time. Rather than uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather... Isn't that remarkable? What's the solution to human sinfulness? Serve one another. Or as a, a buddy of mine put it, it's really hard to bicker and divide when you're digging a ditch shoulder by shoulder. There is something about the work of service that actually kills division. There is something about the sinful human condition that is driven away and dissolved by service. And there's something in that that we need to pay attention to. This is where I drift off script. I did it in the first service. I don't have the sermon laid out perfectly, concretely today. And I'm praying that God kind of lands the plane for us. But I can't, I can't come across this passage without reflecting on the last 24 hours. I got a, a phone call to pick up a young adult at the airport after the teens flew out yesterday. So I drove down, picked them up, and we, we drove back. And we, uh, we got talking about why they were home. And this is where it gets a little bit dark. For the third time in as many weeks, I heard about a suicide of a young man. And for me, I, I find that hard. I find that really hard that in our area, in our region, and I, I know that other people deal with it more frequently depending on their profession, but 
that hope had disappeared to such an extent that suicide was the option. And I can't help but remember this moment that's kind of seared in my, my mind. I was attending a funeral recently. And I was up in the balcony, and it was full of this young man's peers. And they were absolutely devastated by the loss. Completely gutted. To the extent, and it was one of my colleagues that pointed this out, they were so non-functional. <laughs> they lacked hope so much that they couldn't even wipe their own tears away. Other people were reaching over with Kleenex and drying their faces. It drives me a little crazy that hope had disappeared in their lives to such an extent that they were left in that state. And I can't help but look at a passage like this that lays out the consequences of giving in to our sinful nature. In the next paragraph, Paul really makes it clear there is a war going on in your heart and in your community. Inside each one of us, there are two tensions. One with sinful human flesh wanting what it wants and selfishly desiring all kinds of perks and privileges. And another that is desiring to serve God. And he lays out really clearly the consequences of chasing down both paths. And it drives me a little crazy. And if I say this the wrong way, please be gracious to me. Hear the heartbeat, maybe not the words. It drives me a little crazy that in our town, people are leveled to such an extent of hopelessness while there are churches all around them. And as I think back over my life and, and how we are called to serve, how Jesus told us to love one another, I can't help but think about how I've spent my life, and I mean no slam on anyone, and how many times I've been in meetings rather than doing ministry. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. i, I got to say this as gently as I can. I mean no disrespect, but so many of our meetings are taken up with conversation about what eternally doesn't matter. I mean no disrespect. But we are the people of God called to this town at this time. And there are people around us who need Jesus who need hope. And this tension that Paul talks about in the next few verses between the, the sinful, selfish flesh and the Spirit of God, there are consequences to which you give in to, to which you follow. There are consequences to feeding the sinful flesh. There are consequences to following the Spirit. And we get to choose which one we lean into. And the results matter. Verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I told this story many, many years ago, and so if you've heard it before, just be gracious with me. I spent most of my teenage years on the back of a potato planter, which meant that I watched the machine and then I watched the scenery. It gave me a lot of time to think. And there's a field that we, we bought. The farm had been there, and it had... There was an old barn. And they were quite concerned. It was clear from the way that things were braced 
They were quite concerned to hold everything together. It had been reinforced to keep everything from blowing out. It was clear that they were quite concerned that the weight of the snow would cause the walls to bulge out and fall down. And I still remember this barn. Here it was with all kinds of 10-inch round poles reinforcing the walls to keep it from being destroyed by forces from without. And it had rotted from the inside and collapsed. So often we think our division and our conflict is from outward sources. And so often it's from the division within our own lives. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Which sounds awesome because we know that there are consequences to gratifying the desires of our sinful nature. We have seen that firsthand in our town. So what does it mean to live by the Spirit or as it says in verse 16? 16? Yes, 16. As it says in uh, this particular translation, walk by the Spirit. I can remember being at a, a camp. I don't even remember who had said it, so I'm not slamming anybody. But they described this passage as uh, the Holy Spirit is like a lamp that we lift and it shines light upon our path and we can walk by the Spirit and see where we're supposed to go. Which is true, but not what this passage is getting at. The actual vocabulary of this passage, the words that are used in the ancient language, and if you know me, you know I don't normally talk that way. I hated Greek. I took it twice. It's embarrassing how bad the mark was. But I'm able to say this because people who are much smarter than me wrote about it in all kinds of books I was able to study. The, the phrasing here, to walk by the Spirit... It means to follow. Yeah, the, the sense is like a, a, a small child chasing after their parent in the kitchen. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It, it might or might not be a reality in my life. We've got this little kid desperately wanting to help out. And everywhere the parent goes, you, you try and step over to the fridge, and they run in front of you to open the door. And you try and go over to the pantry, and they run in front of you to get whatever it is off the shelf. Or when I was a kid and I, I desperately wanted to help my dad fix the engine, I'd be running to get him a wrench that he hadn't even asked for yet when he needed a screwdriver. But it's the sense of a child chasing hard after their parent, of just wanting to be so close to the parent. There used to be this, uh, this old blessing for disciples of a rabbi. Which goes like this, may the dust of your rabbi's feet fall on you. May you walk so close to your teacher that you get the dust off the feet falling on you. And that's the sense of what's going on here. That you are walking close to the Spirit, sticking close to the Spirit, and not gratifying the sinful desires, the selfish desires. You are starving that monster so that you can follow and hear the Spirit's voice. In one of his teachings, Jesus put it this way, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. If you chase hard after, if you feed sinful nature, that is what you will reap. If you chase hard after the Spirit, that is the fruit that your life will bear. And that's what Paul lays out in these next two paragraphs. In verses 19 through 21, he runs through a list that everybody would say, these are awful. We don't want them in our life. And yet along the way, we make choices that lead to these things. I don't want to be envious, but I make choices to judge other people. I don't want to be full of jealousy, but I make choices. 
I don't want to cause division and faction, but I make choices to feed the sinful nature, and this is the crop that our lives produce. And in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit is what we do want. That first section, verses 19 to 21, I want to just point out another teaching of Jesus. Because it's so easy to look at these and go, oh yes, yep, I can see how idolatry is part of such and such a life. Or I can see how a selfish ambition is present in somebody else's life. And I, I want to remind us that Jesus taught us, why are you so concerned about the speck of dust in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own? First go and have the plank removed so that you can see clearly and then deal with your brother's speck. We should look at these verses and hold ourselves accountable. My wife, Jody, she's part of a, a great leadership development program, and, and part of that means meeting with a mentor, and she shared with me one of the things her mentor taught her, or one of her mentors taught her, and I thought it was brilliant. And I want to lay it out for all of us this morning. If you're anything like me, you look for the good parts of your life because, frankly, life can be hard, right? And we need some encouragement. But the problem with that is sometimes I don't actually take a good, long, hard look at my life and my behavior. And I got taught this saying, and I've told you where it came from, and I think it's one that we should all wrestle with. Because at some point, we all need to answer this question. Where in my life am I cooperating with the enemy? Because let's be honest, there have been times where we have. And we can start to see the fruit of that cooperation in our life and in our community. Factions and divisions, they should not be. Envy should not be. And I need to wrestle with the question, where in my life have I cooperated with the enemy? Because what I want in my life is not what we find in these passages. But what we read in verses 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I want these things in my life, I need to be led by the Spirit. Against such things there are, there is no law. I can't help but think of that teaching of Jesus, which I quoted earlier. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And I want a life that's defined by that second set of virtues, not the first. I want a life that's defined by walking by the Spirit and the fruit that comes from sticking close to God. I want a life that's defined that way, not one that's defined by fruit where I've cooperated with the enemy. As we head to communion, as we get ready for that, I thought I'd end with this verse here. It's verse 24. As we gather around the communion table and celebrate what Jesus has done and what he's going to do, I thought we might end with this one. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My translation says, my sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. You know, 
we mark at the communion table Christ crucified and resurrected. Christ killed and risen. But my sinful desires, they're supposed to stay in the grave. They were crucified with Christ, and yet, for me who claims to follow Jesus, there are days where I keep trying to feed a dead corpse, and where I give him mastery in my life. As we gather around the table, we are reminded that Jesus has called us to be something different. That our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ, and it is dead. And we are not to pursue the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. And we are not to pursue division and factions, but we are called to serve one another. That together we are called to make a difference in our community because of what Christ has done in us. I'm going to Invite the deacons to come and lead us in communion. We're, we're going to be led today by Tammy and Thelma, and I'm looking at... Those of us who gather around the family table, who know the meaning of you're a good, good father. Those of us who are trying to walk in the way of the Spirit get to carry that good news into our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our schools. This week, I pray that God would use you, that he would cause a crop to grow in you that reflects the work of the Spirit in your life. And that God would use you to draw people to him. Amen.